0: I was just going through this. Um, I was out all day and literally came in, just took my, my tea and I had this idea. And I want to just bring some of it to you this evening. Hopefully it'll encourage you, not only here, for, for wherever you are, wh- whatever condition you're in, um, your faith to strengthen you whenever time you're tried and tested. And hopefully you'll, you'll be able to revert back to some of this and it'll encourage you on in the faith. Romans chapter 4 verse 1. What shall we say then that Abraham our Father, as pertaining to the flesh, hath found? For if Abraham were justified by works, he hath were off to glory, but not before God. For what saith the Scripture? Abraham believed God, and it was counted unto him for righteousness. Now to him that worketh is the reward not reckoned of grace, but of debt. But to him that worketh not, but believeth in him that justifieth the ungodly, his faith is counted for righteousness. Now we're going to go through this uh, chapter as much as possible. And we're going to go to other places. And what I wanted you to see is there's a little word, a little thread. And in Romans chapter 4, it's mentioned uh, that is the Greek term of it is mentioned 12 times in this chapter alone, okay? It's mentioned 12 times. We're going to look at some of them or maybe all of them if we have a chance. And the first one is found, uh, the first mention of it is found in verse 3. The second is in verse 4. The little word counted in verse 3 and the word reckoned in verse 4. Although the English word changes, uh, the Greek original text stays the same. Now, there is absolutely nothing wrong with the King James translators here and what they have put. And all I'm doing is to try and open this up for you that in your own heart and faith that you'll be able to be encouraged and feed off this. And it's profound. Something with profundity is something that seems So simple but yet there's so many truths and it's something that's buried and hidden like a treasure. And that's what this little word is. And you hopefully by the time we're finished this evening you'll go out of here thinking thank you Jesus. Thank you Lord. This is tremendous for me, my salvation, my walk with you and my life before you. For example, speaking of Abraham as pertaining to the flesh in verse 1. Notice the flesh. Then we go into faith, the spirit. And you see, you and I, as pertaining to the flesh, well, that's one thing. But it's when we pertain to the Spirit, that's what carries us through. All of us are flesh. Every one of us have a flesh body. And when Christ returns, that's the full salvation. That's the whole redemption. When Christ returns and changes our bodies to be fashioned like unto his own glorious body, which means you're not going to have any more pains and aches and troubles and all the little things, the twinges and all those sort of things, even those that are sick that we spoke of earlier, they're not going to have any of that, those who are found in Christ at his return. Your body and mine will be changed to be like his. And what was his body like? Well, the disciples were in the room with the doors closed after the death of Christ, remember? And with those, the Jews were out to kill them. And what happened was, Jesus appears in the middle of the room. And now, the thing is, they think he's a spirit. And he says, handle me and see. Listen, for a spirit hath not flesh and bone. He didn't say blood. Flesh and bone, as you see me, have. So he challenges them to test the fabric of his being, not as of his body. So whatever way this glorified risen body is, it can be physical yet spiritual. It can actually walk through walls. It appears it walks through walls. He says, you can handle me and see, you can try it, and you'll find out that this body isn't like the body that I had when I went to the cross. It was full of blood. What happened to his blood, brothers and sisters? Shed out in Calvary's tree. And what is the life force in Jesus then when he walks through the very wall or the door or however, however he enters into there? He enters in by that, and the life force within him now flowing is the Holy Spirit is the deity of Christ is flowing through him. And that's what's going to happen to you and I. You and I have that seed, the Holy Spirit, living in us. And he's going to flow through us. Uh, a friend of mine, actually he's coming to see me tomorrow, and he's a carpet cleaner. That's why he's coming to see me tomorrow. And he he's, he does the police cars. Um, every time someone's arrested, if there's any sign of blood, he goes in with, like it's like an infrared light, and he shines it all over the seats. And even if there's a little tiny spot of blood, this shows it up. Even if it's naked, the naked eye can't see it. This shows it up and you can see the difference in it. And he says it's the molecules in there, whatever it is in the, the blood, reacts to the light. Now this is only a... Now, don't be getting... Uh, I don't think I'm fundamental in this, but this is just a thought. Now when Adam sinned in the garden, before he sinned, he had a garment of light. He was he was to live on, wasn't he? There was no death before Adam sinned. But when he sinned death came. And his body changed. For then death. Sin brought forth death. And he would gradually die. So the, there's many who feel that the blood. The congealed. Uh, the blood either congealed. Or something happened to it. And it's the light of God. Like that light shining over. it, Shows up the blood for what it is. It's putrid. It's rotten. Our blood is rotten. And it could be then with the coming of Christ. That his light in us turns that back into something glorious. And that's how we can live. Many theologians talk about these things. So the, the, those of us who are alive and remain will be caught up together to meet the Lord in the air. And look, it's not that the people talk about the Lord's coming and it's like a flash and everybody's gone. The Bible doesn't say that. It says that we are caught up together and we are changed in a moment in the twinkling of an eye. The change is like a twinkling of an eye. We don't know the day or the hour when Christ returns, but the change is in a moment in the twinkling of an eye. So the life force in every believer, even now if we can walk in the Spirit, is the Holy Spirit of God. And that Holy Spirit will then at one day take over the very fleshy bodies that we have at the coming of Christ that we might be fashioned like unto his own glorious body. Now notice, Abraham is pertaining to the flesh. Someday I'll do a study, and we know we hear about... Paul the apostle to the Gentiles. And, and that's true. That's, that's okay. But the word Gentiles needs a study. Because it's far bigger than anybody ever thinks. And we just think, well, it's everybody except for the Jews. That's not what it means. Gentilized Israel. Israelites were gentilized. They lost their way. They, they, they lost all contact with God. They became heathen. And Paul is actually sent to them what others are then hearing the word of God. And so here he's talking about Abraham as pertaining to our flesh. So there's actually Israelites in every book, every church of the Bible you'll read of Israelites in it. For example, in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, Paul speaks about how all our fathers, speaking to the Corinthians, walked through the sea and were baptized under the cloud unto Moses. Now there's no Sky or BBC or ITV and there's no CNN and ABC in those days, there's no, uh, no, it's not the Jerusalem Times and the anti Herald and all this sort of stuff. There's none of that. There's no internet. So why would they know if they hadn't got some sort of Israelite heritage? How would they know, what on earth are you talking about, Paul? Because they did have Israelite heritage. Paul was able to speak those things, and they would grasp it and understand it. So here we find that Paul mentions it again to the Roman church. That is the church at Rome. Mm. Let me just make that clear, okay? the church at Rome. Notice, Abraham were justified by works. He hath wore off the glory. In other words, if if Abraham could be just as if he had never sinned, the idea to be justified means to to be declared righteous. Abraham was a man. Abraham was flesh. We've read that. So Abraham had sin. Abraham failed. And if he was to try and work himself as before God, even with all the altars, Abraham was known as the man who built the altars everywhere he went, and he worshipped God. It still wasn't enough to justify. He had to believe God for justification. So that's why the just shall live by faith, Martin Luther found out, and came out of the Church of Rome with it. 95 theses were nailed to the Wittenberg Cathedral door. And so on the 15th of October, 1517. And so here we find that to be justified, to be just as if you had never sinned, it's not of your works because if you can be justified by your works, then Christ need not have died. God need not have sent his only begotten son. He didn't have to shed his blood. So notice here, if Abraham were justified by works, he half were off the glory, but not before God. So Abraham was no glory. No matter the altars he made, no matter the religion he had, he had nothing to glory of. Now, notice, for what saith the scripture? There's the thumb rule, the rule of thumb. That is the canon. When you hear about the canon of scripture, do you know canon was actually a measuring length in in the days of building the temple, by the way? They would have had a measuring rod, and one of those measures would have been called the canon. So they built the, the temple. Measuring the canon. That's where the canon of scripture comes from. The temple of the Holy Ghost, who you and I are. We find that this is our measuring rod. So the Bible, the word of God that we have in our hands, is the final authority in all manners of Christian conduct and living. There's nothing that we can argue with this word. And if this word tells us something about ourselves, even while he's speaking to us, if this word tells us something that we have to live like or be like, it doesn't matter. Uh, Timmy prayed there about the, uh, the Eighth Amendment uh, uh, that they're trying to change down down south in the south of Ireland. It doesn't matter what the government thinks. It doesn't matter what London thinks. It doesn't matter what Stormont... Well, <laughs> there's nobody there. But anyway, it doesn't <laughs> matter what anybody thinks. It can't be changed no matter uh, the social activity of men doesn't matter what way this, the, the, the nation is going and the people are thinking and they say the time has moved on and we're living in 2018 and, and it's an antiquated book. This word is forever settled in heaven. It is the canon of Scripture for all manners of Christian conduct and living and whether you like it, I like it, or anybody else like it, it remains the same. It can't be changed. It cannot be changed. What saith the Scripture Everything about our lives must be, what saith the scripture about me? What saith the scripture about this? What saith the scripture? Abraham believed God. Underlying believed. It's not that he just believed. The word believed here is a little word, pistio. And pistio means more than belief. It means to fully be settled and to set one's heart upon. To be fully settled and to set one's heart upon. Abraham was fully settled and he set his heart upon what God has said. Now you have to think about this and we'll look at it in a moment. How many times do we know what the Word of God says? How many times do we know what the promise of God to us is? How many times do we say we're trusting in you, Lord, and through times of trouble and worry and anxiety and strife do we look at it and then turn away and look back at our problems in the storm? Because we're not fully settled on it. We're not fully set our hearts on it. But Abraham did. And Abraham believed God And it was counted unto him for righteousness. Now here's this little word, counted. Okay? The Greek word that's used twelve times in this chapter alone is the word logizami. If you want to write it down in English spelling, L-O-G-E-Z-A-M-I. And and it means to calculate. To calculate. To take a count off. To come to a conclusion. To calculate, to take account of, and to come to a conclusion. So now when we think of it in this term, let's read this verse. And let me just put that in there. For what saith the scripture? Abraham settled his heart. Was fully persuaded, in other words, in God. And it was counted, or that which he believed, what God said, it means he calculated things. He took an account of it, and Abraham came to a conclusion, but then so did God. Notice, it was counted unto him, unto Abraham for righteousness. Can you see that now? So because I believe you, and I'm settled in you, God says, I'm looking at all this. I'm watching your heart. It's counted for righteousness, Abraham. Why? Because of what you've done? No. Because of how hard you've tried, Abraham? No. That's what the previous verse tells us. It's not of his works, or he'd have something to glory about. No, Lord, it was because you tell me it, I believe it. Because you've said it, that settles it. And so he says, you're righteous. See, that's the message of the cross. That's the message of the gospel. Christ died for our sins. I with all my heart have set my heart on what he has accomplished, on what the scripture says he hath done for us. It is finished. You have paid my debt in full. I have nothing to add to this. So I believe in you just from my heart. I'm not given any works. I'm not coming with any alms. And I am fully resting my all in you. My whole eternal welfare rests on what you have done, Jesus. And the Father says, I count you righteous. Can you see that now? So notice here in verse 4. Now unto him that worketh is the reward not reckoned of grace, but of debt. Now the word reckoned is, look, me again. And the idea here is uh, that Paul is telling us, look, see the one who works alms, deeds, the religious activities, that I'll get myself cleaned up. You ever hear that all the time? You, I may, I'm going to have to get all, all all things in order first, and then I'll come and trust in Jesus, and I'm going to do this, and I'll be saved, and I'll, I'll do all these charity works. Listen, and why they all may be good, God says, you know, you're still a debtor. Because when I count every one of them up, he says, you're refusing grace. Now let me give you a, a a little snippet of what grace, the definition of what the word grace here, charis, really is. It was a word that was used by the ancient Greeks. Let me give you an example. You go down, I've given it to you as before, I want to give you it again. Why don't you get it in? If you get this into your heart and your mind, it will help you so much. So you would go through uh Athens, say uh, and there is this loyal poet and he's standing there with this oratory, and it's free. You stands in the streets. It's like a busker as you're walking down the street and they're singing, his now song beautiful? And you stand and listen to this poet and you're hearing this poet and you're saying, wow, isn't there something beautiful in what he's saying? The idea is there is property. There's a, a property in what he has. There's a property in what he's saying and it gives joy to the hearers. That's the idea of it. So then you hear a philosopher. And the philosopher, well, he seems to be so intelligent and so smart. uh, And and you really, you stop in the the streets of Athens, somewhere in Greece, and this man has just given it all out. And you're going, wow, isn't that amazing? That's really illuminated my mind. That's done something to me. I've never seen that before. I never knew that before. And there's a property in that that gives joy to the hearer. Then it goes into, if you're on your holiday, and you're standing overlooking the sea. And the first day you're there, say, you know, and you just can't believe you have actually arrived. You know one of those ones? You're, oh, the sun's beating down on you. And the grass is just gently blowing or whatever. And you see the sun, you know, the Mediterranean, and the sun glistening off it. And you just feel the sun in your face. And you're going, and you're in your shorts and your sandals or your flip-flops, whatever you're wearing, you know, and you're, oh, man. Everything's just thrown off you. That's charis. The property in it gives joy to you. You see where we are? That was Carus in the ancient Greek text. The philosopher, that was charis, what he had. And you didn't pay for it. you done nothing. You just had to receive what it had to offer. So the New Testament writer, especially Paul here, takes it over into his epistles. He says, now, here's the difference. This curse is found in a man, Jesus. And when you hear of his saving grace, that you don't pay for it, but when you hear of the gospel, the good news, the the glad tidings of him coming to die for you, what happens? You receive it for free. And it gives joy to the receiver or to the hearer. And Paul is saying so much more than what the ancient Greeks had, so much more we find that in Christ. So when Paul then writes here, for now to him that worketh is the reward not reckoned of grace. It's not counted that it's by grace. You're coming with works. And yet in the first verse, second verse, we're looking at how Abraham was a man of flesh. So you're bringing your flesh. And there's no flesh can please God. And there's no flesh while glory in his presence. You see the difference now? Is everybody with me? Okay, yeah. It's beautiful, isn't it? It's beautiful. So here in verse 5. But to him that worketh not, but believeth on him that justifieth the the ungodly, his faith is counted for righteousness. So here we go again. Then whenever we go in to verse 6, even as David also described the blessedness of the man unto whom God imputeth not, pardon me, God imputeth righteousness without works. See the term here, David describes the blessedness of the man. You could write underneath that if you want, the spiritual prosperous condition of the man. David describes the spiritual, prosperous condition of the man or the woman, but we'll stick with the scripture here, of the man unto whom God imputeth righteousness without works. See the little word imputeth? There's our word me again. Logizme. So me means a finished, counted, settled calculation. I'm going to say it again. It means a finished, counted, settled calculation. So when we're reading this, even as David also described the blessedness of the man, the spiritual, prosperous condition of the man unto whom God has finished, counting, settled, and calculated it, he's given him righteousness without works. Can we see that now? Verse 7. Saying, blessed are they whose iniquities are forgiven and whose sins are covered or atoned for. Now here's the thing. See the term there, um, blessed are those whose iniquities. See the little word iniquities. Uh, if you want, you can underline that and you can write a word, onomia. anomia. Anomia. And A-N-O-M-I-A, simply means lawlessness. So blessed are they whose lawlessness is forgiven. Now why would he say lawlessness? Because when you and I think of law, you and I think of the government. You and I think of speeding. You and I think of breaking the law of the land. He's not talking about that. He's talking about the moral law of God. So now in a lot of christian circles you'll hear the hyper graces where you can live how you like. I listen the moral law of God is the Ten Commandments. If we can live how we like and we don't need the Ten Commandments, can we make an idol and worship another God and live in grace no if if we if we blaspheme the name of Christ and and we take his name in vain, is that okay and say, well, you know, we're under grace? The answer is no. We can't. Because the Ten Commandments, the moral law of God, stands to this very day and will stand. Can a man go and take another man's wife? Or a husband... Another, a woman, another woman's husband, and vice versa? The answer is no, no, and no. Because that's all in the moral commandments of God. Now, when you get the moral law of God, you have the Ten Commandments. On one table of stone, you have four, if you want. The first four commandments are between you and God. I haven't time to go into them. We'll study them another time. Are between man and God. Okay? From the next six, from five down to ten, are between you and I. It's how we deal with each other. So when later in the Gospels, when Jesus comes and the Jews are there and they're talking about the law of God, and Jesus rebukes them, saying, you've put traditions of men on all of this. This was never given by God. And then he goes in to say, search the scriptures for in them you think you have eternal life. And those are they which testify of me. So he's asked them, what is the, 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 the greatest, the first and greatest commandment? And what does he say? Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with thy heart, soul, mind and strength. It's the first great commandment. And thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. as the second. Do you know what he's just done there? He gave you the two tables of the Ten Commandments in the one go. Love God first. Because if you love God first, I for the next three, the first four, between you and God. And love one another means you'll love everything down there. You'll sort each other out. You'll help each other out. So really, in just saying that, he's saying, here's the Ten Commandments. Now, when you come to hear lawlessness, people think, well, grace and the opposite of grace um, is law. And it's not. It's not. And people think the opposite of law then must be grace. And it's not. The opposite of law is lawlessness. The big difference. So now when we think of this in this verse it says in verse 7 Blessed are they whose iniquities are forgiven, whose lawlessness is forgiven. Sin is the transgression of the law. We've read that in James, haven't we? Sin is the transgression of the law. Whose iniquities or lawlessness is forgiven, whose sins are covered. Blessed is the man to whom the Lord will not impute sin. Notice, blessed is the man now. When I say man, it's a term for man and woman. Blessed is the man whom the Lord will not impute. There's me again. See how many times he's using this. So again, here's another, uh, little thing to add to the word me. After all the things I've said it means, this is what it means is something similar. Listen to this. It means to number. To weigh up the reasons. To deliberate on it. To deem, to judge in order, to determine, to decide, to give purpose. I'll say it one more time. It means to number, to weigh up the reasons, to deliberate, to deliberate, to deem, then to judge in order, to determine, to decide, to give the purpose. So let's read this. Blessed is the man to whom the Lord will not impute sin. The Lord will number it will weigh up the reasons, will deliberate, will deem, judge, and he will determine. And he says, not guilty. You're blessed. You're blessed. So the word impute here means so much. The word lagidzame covers more than you think. So what he's saying is, if your sins are covered, how are they covered? By the blood of the Lamb. Has your sins covered by Christ down on the cross. Now he's say, your lawlessness is gone. Yes, we live in grace every single second, every moment of every day. But now he's saying, so you're blessed because even though you're a failures before God, every one of us, even though we sin in, in our minds, in our thoughts, in our actions, we sin when we don't even know we're sinning. There's things that we should do that we haven't done and we've sinned. There's things that we shouldn't do and we do. And Paul says the things that I would do. I don't and all. He gives the whole. Even Paul that's writing this says we live in grace. We need his grace every day. So when we look at this then. Let's go to the next one. Cometh this blessedness then upon the circumcision only. Or upon the uncircumcision also. For we say that faith was reckoned to Abraham for righteousness. Reckoned is the word. The gives to me. Faith. No, faith was calculated, taken into account, and it was brought to the conclusion, he's righteous because he's believing me. He's righteous because he's obeying my word and believing what I say. Now, we're going to look at this in a little moment, Abraham's faith in it. Verse 10, how was it then reckoned, or, like me, that's the word again, when he was in circumcision or in uncircumcision, Not in circumcision, but in uncircumcision. What's Paul telling us? Abraham was called out of the Ur of the Chaldees. He believed God coming out of the Ur of Chaldees. And guess what? He hadn't had the covenant of circumcision yet. In other words, it wasn't of any work. It was of faith. Can you see now? this is even before he was circumcised in the flesh. And he received the sign of circumcision, the seal of of the righteousness of the faith, which he had yet been uncircumcised. Notice here, the circumcision of the flesh was the sealing, was the outward manifestation of the faith he had placed in God at the start, at the beginning when God called him out. That's why the circumcision was given. Then he says, that he might be the father of all them that believe, though they be not circumcised, that righteousness might be imputed unto them also. The word imputed is located to me. That through faith, righteousness would be imputed to you. Now listen, it's not any faith. We, there's people have faith in everything and different gods, so-called gods, and they have faith in their church and have faith. It's faith in Christ. He's speaking of here. It's faith in Christ. And then in verse twelve. And the father of circumcision to them who are not of the circumcision only, but also who walk in the steps of the faith of our father Abraham, which he had being yet uncircumcised for the promise that he should be heir of the world, was not to Abraham or to his seed through the law, but through the righteousness of faith. Here he's saying, Abraham, your seed are going to rule the world. When's that going to happen? When Christ returns. Going to take over the whole world. For the promise that he should be heir of the words was not the Abraham or the seed through the law, but through the righteousness of faith. For if they which are of the law be heirs, faith is made void, and the promise made of none effect. In other words, it's not by who they are or what they can do, but by faith in the seed of Abraham being Christ. Because the law worketh wrath, for where no law is, there's no transgression. Therefore, it is of faith that it might be by grace to the end the promise might be sure to all seed, not to that only which is of the law, but to that also which is of the faith of Abraham, who is the father of us all. And what does he really say in a nutshell here? Abraham's seed, that is, we have the seed of Abraham as to our flesh. And then there are those who are the seed of Abraham as to the faith Can you see the difference now he's making here? Verse 17, as it is written, I have made thee a father of many nations. You know when God said this? Before he even had a son. Before he even had a son when he was nearly 100 years old. And Sarah was about 90. He says, I have made you, not I will make you. It's already done in God. God's all way ahead of us. Who was the first one in the ark? Noah's Ark. Who was the first one? Noah. Was it his wife? Was it his? Was it his sons and their wives? Who was the first one in the Ark? momentarily tell you, God. Because God says, "Come thy and thy family or thy house into the Ark." Come, He says, "I'm already here." Yet when He got in, it was God that shut the door. God's way ahead of you. Whatever you're facing, He's already there. You see, let me put it like this. God is eternal, isn't that right? He's eternal. Which means there's no end to him. But in that, God has set a timepiece like you wearing a watch on your wrist. It's like you having a clock in your hand where the sun is and the moon and the stars and the planets go around it only, obviously we know all the th- universes, but in ours, we, we look at this and we, God has it like a timepiece and every time we go around the sun once, what happens is 365 days. God's outside of that. So all you and I are doing is traveling through time. God's already eternal. He's already away way ahead. He's already there waiting on you catching up. Lord, will you go with me? He says, I'm waiting for you. Will you go with me? I'm waiting for you, child. I pray that sometimes too. We know what we mean in our human language. But he's already ahead of us. He's just waiting on you and I catching up. So when we look here and as verse 17, As it is written, I have made thee a father of many nations before whom, before him whom he believed, even God, who quickeneth the dead and calleth those things which be not as though they were. See, hadn't happened. He hadn't even got a son. And God says, I've already done it. How does that happen? Well, here's the thing the Bible tells us, uh, that in the mind of God, or even in the eternal being of God, Christ had already died before you and I were even thought of. Before there was a planet system. Before Adam was in the garden. Before there was a sinner on the earth, there was a saviour in heaven. And so he what he's saying here, he says, Look, he says, God's got it all in control. He just Before even anything happens in our life, God's already spoken it forth. See, that's where our belief comes in then. We must trust him for what we face. We must trust him for our eternal welfare. And we must trust him that should we pass this life, that he's already in that eternal life. Just waiting to take you by the hand. David says, Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. But here's the thing. You and I, when we see our loved ones slip away, our hands are no good to them. We can hold our hands while they feel Our pulse and theirs feel the heat of our hands, maybe their cold hand, as they slip into eternity. And after that happens, we're no good to them. But here's the thing, when they know Christ, he says, yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. And David's saying as if he's preaching to us, yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. Then he's aware and conscious of God and his eyes turn as it were to heaven. As though God is just right there and then taking him through goes. I will fear no evil. He turns to God and says, For thou art with me. He forgets about you and I. Our hands are no good to him anymore. When David passed away, his loved one's hands aren't good to him anymore. And whose hand does he take? He takes the hand of the Saviour. For thou art with me. See, that's what counts. Knowing that God is way ahead of us and before us. Notice, In verse 18, who against hope believed in hope that he might become the father of many nations. You see Abraham's faith working here. Let me get a drink. According to that was spoken, so shall thy seed be. The little word according to that was spoken is the word, the word according is kata. Kata. And the word kata means, gives the idea of pressing down dominance. So now Paul saying Abraham believed against and hope, even against hope. He's old, Sarah's womb is barren, she's old, they haven't a child, yet God says, I have made you a father of many nations. Now this takes a big ask. But it's nothing to God. And this is the idea, according to that was said, according to that promise, Katha means the dominance or the pressing down. So he says it was the word of God dominating. Abraham. Pressing into him to say, it's not about you, Abraham. It's not how strong you are, Abraham. It's not what you can accomplish or do, Abraham. It's because of my word spoken, Abraham. That's the difference. So what does God say to you about things? What saith the scripture? Go to the word. Search it out. Get the promise of God for your life. The promise of God for your family. Search out the scripture and believe him with all your heart. And let it dominate you. So notice here what he says in verse 19. And being not weak in faith, he considered not his own body. Here he is, the old boy. Now dead when he was about a 100 years old, neither the deadness of Sarah's womb, the old girl. He staggered not at the promise of God through unbelief. Now, we have to stop here for a moment. He staggered not at the promise of God. The idea is here that he was, it gives the idea of being filled to the brim you know you and I we put our hands to our foreheads like, and say I've had him or I've had her up to here wouldn't I? i like the that in the forehead and it's like you're saluting you know? but I've had him or her up to here full up with him that's the idea of this he says Abraham says I'm full up to here with the word of God I'm full up to here with what he said there's no more room for doubt ah what about Ishmael <laughs> remember Ishmael Ishmael was um, Hagar's son, and Abraham lay with Hagar at the behest of Sarah, remember? And then of course God says, It's not in him. I told you it's between you and Sarah. See, we may be we may be quick to judge Abraham and doing that and say, Well he wasn't fooled up to the brim, but he was. Here was the difference. Sometimes even in the promise we like to try and give God a hand and we find it hard to fully rest on him and let him do what he says he's going to do and we make a mess of it because what happened Well, Ishmael was born he had 12 sons became 12 princes became 12 tribes of what's known as the Arab peoples today and look, what look at the trouble that's in the world today that's what happened when you go ahead of God before God He staggered not at the promise of God through unbelief, but was strong in faith, giving glory to God, as it here and being fully persuaded that what he had promised he was able to perform. Therefore it was imputed there's the word that me it was imputed to him for righteousness. Now it was not written for his sake alone, but it was imputed to him. So if you want to read about um I tell you what, let's go to let's go to Rome or Hebrews chapter eleven. We're coming up to a closeness. Hebrews chapter 11. So if we can realize how much of this is of God, our salvation, God keeping us, our election, everything is of God. Everything. His sovereign will, his sovereign grace, his sovereignty in all doing. So you let your eye run down to verse 6. But without faith, it is impossible to please him that has pleased God. For he that cometh to God must believe that he is, and that he is a reward of them that diligently seek him. See the words, that he that cometh to God must believe that he is. It means he must be settled in his heart that God really exists. That's what it means. Because an awful lot of people say, I believe, but they're not settled in their heart. And that he is a rewarder of them, those are them that diligently seek him. The term diligently seek gives the idea of an investigation, gives the idea of a, well if I'm bringing it into modern terms, of a, of a, a, police, CIA, CID over here, you know, and it gives the idea of them investigating. They take their notes down, they take the photographs of the crime scene, they listen, they get the witnesses in, they put it out there to find out more, and they get the scene, uh, uh, the, the whole lot of it, and they bring it together, and they come to a conclusion, and they say, "We believe we can arrest this person. This is where the crime. Who committed the crime?" It's the same thing here. Diligently seek and mean, search the scriptures. See who Christ is in the Old Testament. See where He's found. Look at the lives of people. Look at the change in people. Look at the things that happens when and, and live in the, the realm of faith and belief, and where God has moved in the lives of so many others. Gather it all together and say you are real? Why? My word, look at you, I've done God. And then you step out into that and you say, well, I believe in you for my life. It's so the idea of it. But now let's eye run down, chapter 11. And let's I go to verse 11. You can read about Abraham from verse 8, but read, just go to verse 11. Through faith, Sarah herself received strength to conceive, to, to conceive seed. Notice three faith. Now, this is an old woman who needs, let's call it, she needs not only a miracle, a regenerative uh, miracle, a creative miracle. Doesn't it show you that God still does miracles? It shows that he can create something out of nothing. And it was the faith that Abraham had said to her, by the way, when the Lord comes as uh, the angel of the Lord with, remember the three going to destroy Sodom and Gomorrah and he tarries behind, and he says Sarah's going to have a child, you'll laugh, you'll, you hear and you hear Sarah laughs behind the door. Well later on you'll read it, Abraham laughs. But see the laughs? In the Hebrew they're actually two different laughs. Sarah's behind the, the tent door, she overhears and goes, you must be choking that old boy and me. You know, it's like really unbelief. There's no, catch yourself on. Abraham's lamb rejoiced, great, I'm going to be a daddy. That's the idea of it. I didn't know about some of you, but a Alison came and told me she was going to have another one, I told her she's going to up your mum to live. No, it doesn't matter, doesn't it? She's not here tonight about uh, And the thing is, when we look when we look at this, Sarah now has faith. So where there wasn't really much faith at one time, now she's laid hold in faith. And because she's laid hold in faith and hasn't let go of it, God has already done the work. And his word has come to pass. Sarah, through faith, Sarah herself received strength to conceive and was delivered of a child when she was past age. Just a wee bit, like she was about 90-something. Because she judged him faithful who had promised. See the belief now? She judged God faithful. Brother, sister, do you judge God faithful? Let's settle our hearts on it. And then it says in verse 12, Therefore sprang there even of one, and him as good as dead, <laughs> so many as the stars of the sky in multitude, as the sand which is by the seashore innumerable. And then he says, all these died in faith. He talks about, here the Hebrew writer talks in chapter 11, about all these died in faith. And yet, a lot of them didn't receive the promise. Abraham and Sarah received the promise, but they didn't see the error of the world. Remember, God says, I have made thee a father of many nations. He didn't, he, he never received that. He died, but the promise is still alive. That promise is still alive. There's people in there that God's given household salvation promise and they've died. Well, they need to believe in their deathbed. God's taking them by the hand and bringing them on through through the valley of the shadow of death and they don't have anything to fear but they're just going to leave the promise to continue on because God will bring it to pass because he said it. We think if we're not around, it doesn't happen. That's not true. That's not true. Okay, let me finish here. That's all right. Just run down. Verse 17. Verse 17. By faith, Abraham, when he was tried, offered up Isaac. You need to stop there a second. By faith, Abraham, when he was tried, offered up Isaac. Now, hold on. Is the trial not... Should not be, Abraham was tried because God asked him to offer up Isaac. Should that not be the way we would think about it, isn't it? His trial came when he offered up Isaac. Yes, that was a trial, but it had already been tried. Catch this, brother. and catch this, sister. Every trial you're tried on is that you will accomplish something there for something bigger down the road. For something greater to come. By faith Abraham when he was tried offered up Isaac that he had received the promises offered up his only begotten son. Of whom it was said that in Isaac shall thy seed be called accounting that God was able to raise him up even from the dead from whence he received him in a figure. And in Genesis chapter 22 just turn to it. I'm not going to read the whole story but just read a bit of it. Genesis 22. Verse 1. And it came to pass after these things that God did tempt Abraham. The word tempter is God tempteth no man. We know the word is tried. Okay, it's the same meaning there. And said unto him, Abraham, and he said, Behold, here I am. And he said, Take now thy son, thy only son Isaac, whom thou lovest, and get thee into the land of Moriah, and offer him there for a burnt offering upon one of the mountains, which I tell thee of. My toad Abraham rises up in the morning, and you can read the chapter when you go home. Notice what the Lord says: Offer him there for a burnt offering. I catch this. This man's—he's an old boy, you know, and things ain't what they quite like what they used to be. He's a hundred years old. Sarah. Sarah then, she is uh, uh, like 90 plus years old too. God says, I've made you a father of many nations. It's already happened as far as God's concerned. God said also uh, that his seed would be like the stars of the sky and the sand of the seashore and the dust of the earth. He says, you'll inherit the world. These two old fogies. you and they're looking at each other in the desert in a tent and they're going, what? Are you serious? <coughs> can you see that? And I'm saying this with, with reverence to the Lord, God, the Lord and his word, but to give the idea of it, can you see how ridiculous this seems? It's like ludicrous. But you see, the things God tells us and asks us to believe him for are like that. And that's why we believe him as accounted unto us. Who would have thought his, a man down on a cross Washes us from all our our, all our sin, cleanses us. But we believe it, and now you're righteous. You're just as if you'd never sinned. You're justified. So these two old people in the desert, covered in sand, and they're looking at each other. They're thinking they've got, you know, they haven't much longer to go by the look of them. They look at each other and they say, "Is this real?" I'm gonna be, I'm gonna be the heir of the world. And then when we read this, he gets the son, one son. He's Ishmael. So he done well to get Ishmael. (laughs) He, he, he really put the effort in. And here, we have now Isaac. And the Lord said, in Isaac shall thy seed be called. Now that's another prophetic utterance, I'll talk about that some other time. And Isaac shall I see be called? Now you think about this. These two, all of a sudden, they get this one, this promised son, and they're looking at him. And God says, "Now take him, go three days away from the camp to Moriah. Take him up there. I want you to stick the knife in and cut his heart out. What? And then burn him." Then burn him, a burnt offering. People forget that we burnt offering, but we all think it's just a knife going, because we see the knife. Burn him, make him ash. And Abraham goes, Isaac, we're going for a wee journey. Here's the wood, father. Here's the fire. But where, Where's the lamb or the ram? What are we going to offer up? And Isaac says, Son. Let me just read it to you. Genesis twenty-two. I just want to get it right, and as I run down the verse fourteen, Abraham, pardon me, Verse twelve, and he said, "Lay not thine hand upon the lamb." I've just missed it. sorry, first yet. Abraham said, "My son, God will provide Himself a lamb." Where's the lamb? God will provide himself. Now, notice he didn't say, God will provide for himself a lamb. God didn't need a lamb for himself. Neither did he say, God will provide for himself a lamb, as if uh, God was having to look for a, la- a mm-hmm. lamb. God will provide, listen, himself. So when God provided himself in the person of the Son of God, the Lord Jesus Christ, God was providing himself, a Lamb of God, that taketh away the sin of the world. So as they're going up one side of the mountain, guess what? God already had the provision. There was a ram coming up the other side. And you're going up one side of the mountain and it seems difficult. And you feel like, what are we going to do? How are we going to get through it? God's already told you. I'm ahead of you. Up the other side is your provision. Up the other side is the ram. And when we get to Genesis 22. And verse 13. God tells him in 12 not to put the knife into Isaac. Verse 13. Abraham lift up his eyes and looked and behold, behind him a ram caught in a thicket by his horns. And Abraham went and took the ram and offered him up for a burnt offering in the stead of his son. And Abraham called the name of that place Jehovah Jara. It is, as it is said, to this day in the mount of the Lord it shall be seen. What was he meaning? Jehovah Jireh was God provided himself a lamb. Notice it wasn't even a lamb, it was a ram that's the Father. That's the Father providing himself. And the Son comes in the person of Christ. He's not caught by the horns in a thicket, but he's nailed to a cross. And because we couldn't see a way up the hill, he says, I'm already making the provision. And when you get there, the sacrifice will already be at the thorn. And they placed them on his head. Abraham, put the knife in. Abraham, take him and slay him. Abraham, burn him. Burnt offering. Burn him to a crisp. Bring him to ash. And Abraham said, okay, now, we would go, whoa, whoa, whoa hold on, Abraham. Don't do that. This is the year. It's an Isaac, your son. Shall I see be called? You can't do it. What about the promise of God? Do you ever get people like that? You can't do that. What about the promise of God? Don't be going too far with God because He's given you the promise. You might miss it and you might mess it up and listen, the promise of God will still take place. Just you keep walking after it and believe in God at His Word because we could say that Abraham don't do it. And Isaac shall thy seed be called. But Abraham looked at him and says, you're 100% right. So if I put the knife in and cut the heart out of my son who's going to be tied to the altar and I set fire to the funeral pyre and I burn him to ash and to dust, he says, I believe God will raise him back up again. That's the idea of it. That's the faith. God will raise him up again. And Peter stands before Christ I really forbid thee to go to Jerusalem for you're going to die there. And he's meeting the best. Jesus says, Get thee behind me, Satan, for thy savest not the things of God, but that be of man. See the difference in it. So when you leave tonight and you facing whatever, what are you going to think? I'm righteous in you. Because I believe you. I'm saved because I believe in what Christ has accomplished. I'm righteous because I trust in that. And Lord, I believe you're already ahead of me. Going to the doctor's, you're already there. Going to visit someone, you're already there. I'm struggling, Lord. And I don't know if I'm going to get through tomorrow. He's already there. That's why you don't worry about tomorrow. Get through now, and he's already here. God bless his word to us. I'm, I'm hoping that's encouraged you and helped you to get on with your faith and go on in it. Because there's going to be many trials. But remember, every trial is bringing you through to a victory for something else. Remember that we saw me saying, uh, each victory will help you, some others to win. Fight manfully onwards, dark passing subdue, look ever to Jesus, he will carry you through. I thought it was going to be the only one to remember that there, but I'm sure somebody did. God bless you.